Hello and welcome to the Eyes Up Life podcast with me, Ben Granis. We're here with a fun, fresh new episode for you featuring Evelyn Dong, a professional mountain bike racer. Here on the Eyes Up Life podcast, the mission is to end distracted driving. Eyes Up started as a 7,000-mile bike ride around the United States by me, Ben Granis, solo, to raise awareness for distracted driving. And along the way, I became a whole lot more passionate about this cause than I thought I ever could be. And now I am here working with Maxis athletes to interview them, talk to them about their career, their experience with distracted driving and digital wellness, and spread that message to as many people as possible. And that's the goal of this podcast. So every two weeks, a short form video of our conversation is put out with the highlights and two days later the full conversation comes out in this podcast the eyes up life podcast i met evelyn in freshly snowy park city utah at the beginning of the winter season evelyn is one of the most down-to-earth people that i spoke to and as a lifelong cyclist evelyn has some really cool perspective on both the sport and distracted driving. And I also really appreciated her perspective on phone use and digital wellness and how in particular it's affecting the younger population these days. So sit back, do something that you love while you're listening to this, kick back, relax, enjoy my conversation with Evelyn Dong, and stick around to the end to hear a preview for who is going to be up next in two weeks. Here's the conversation with Evelyn Dog. My name is Evelyn Dong, live in Park City, Utah, and um, mainly I'm a mountain bike racer, and um, I've been racing mountain bikes for, let's see, since like 2012. Um, so yeah, like 10-ish, 11 years. How did you get into it? Um, uh, well, I used to Nordic ski race, um, and then burned out on that, um, moved to Park City, and I was just going to, like, think about going back to school and, uh, just ride the mountain bike for fun, and, uh, turns out my roommate is, or at the time when I moved here, He's a super fast single speeder, and he dragged me out on all the trails here, and I just had to, like, get faster to keep up with him and not get lost. So <laughs> then and I started racing. So did you pretty much immediately start racing after mm-hmm. that? or how? What was yeah, it? there was, like, a year where I was trying to, like, not race, but then, like, I jumped in a couple, and it's just so much fun that I was like, all right. <laughs> um, did you grow um, up riding bikes? Or was it mostly skiing? Or um, I grew up riding a Huffy to mainly get to school um, and deliver newspapers. So, but I did not see it like as a sport really. And okay, so uh, what what got you into skiing then? Um, Tell me about that. We had a little well, we had a high school team um, where we had like a trash bin full of skis and it was pretty much like all the kids who didn't want to do like other sports and just wanted to 
Ghost Mowgli in the Woods. Um, that was the ski team. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I like actually got pretty motivated. I had a friend who um, actually did race for a club team and he kind of nudged me in that direction because he said I was like, had, had some potential there. So um, yeah, it's basically like friends. It's all the pe about people always introducing me to stuff. So how many years was your skiing, ski racing career, and, and how long have you been doing mountain bike cycling racing? Oh, um, let's see. Ski racing, I, I raced from, uh, let's see, I was in high school, so I was like 14. I started then. Um, and then, yeah, continued raced for college for a couple of years, um, dropped out of school, and then continued for another few years after that. Um, but, and then, yeah, then started mountain bike racing in 2012, so. What's it, what's the contrast been like for you? Like, do you miss skiing? Or are you pretty content with, with riding and all that? Um, I don't miss skiing so much. Um, I miss, like, when I was, I spent a few years coaching um, that was like the first few years when I was transitioning to racing on the mountain bike and I was still really involved in the ski world and uh, I miss skiing with kids it's just fun and just like building little jumps and um, yeah and it's also super rewarding like teaching technique and skills and stuff like that so that's what I miss mostly about skiing Talk to me about the average mountain bike season. Like, how many races are you doing? What's your training like when you're not racing? Um, let's see. I guess it's changed a lot over the past 10 years. Like, when I first started out, I was kind of more on the cross-country circuit. And um, you can race a lot of cross-country events a year. I mean, they're, like, an hour and a half long. Um, and it's, like, the most intense hour and a half but like you can bounce back from that. So you can race like every weekend um, and then with like a few breaks here and there. Um, so yeah, usually it would start in like March, go through August or September. Um, so yeah, now it's like, I mean, start in March and the last race is like November. Wow, so not, so not a long off-season. Not a long off-season. Um, but, yeah, these the gravel races I was doing this past year are, like, I mean, anywhere between, like, 5 to 11 hours. So it takes a bit to, like, bounce back, so you can't be, like, grinding it every weekend. Um, and then, yeah, off-season this month has been pretty chill since the last race, and then um, I just haven't felt like I need like that much time off the bike just like um I've been getting into jumping more so it's been fun to like go to like bike parks and um and a few of the jump trails down in Salt Lake that are still rideable um and yeah get some air time in and also ride my dirt bike a bunch this month so Okay, so you, you it, it sounds like you, you kind of dabble in a lot of different disciplines. Is there one that mm -hmm. you find, that, well, is there one that you've, you like the most, and is there one that you've had more success with? 
Um, well, I think my talents lie more probably on the cross country side. Um, and I do enjoy that, like, as, like, as far as racing goes, that's like, um, I like the combination of like riding hard uphill and then, yeah, having skills on the descent. Um, I mean, I think like deep down inside every mountain bike racer wishes they like could race downhill because that's like <laughs> what the cool kids do. But yeah, nowhere close to being able to race downhill. Um, Have you competed in any downhill races? No, I've done a couple enduros um, just for fun. Um, and those are, I mean, I'm always at the tail end of those, but I like hanging out with everyone and right, like riding the transfers together. It's, yeah, it's a good time. Right, because there's a portion where you're not, it's like neutral, right? Where you're just... Yeah, you're supposed to pedal very slowly. I learned that um, if you go hard, like I think it, it also makes sense as far as racing, you save your energy for when it counts hard, like, or counts to like pedal hard on the de descent. Um, but yeah, they were laughing at me because I was trying to like uh, do these ridiculous climbs and everyone else is just walking up with their bikes. And I was like, oh, that's smarter, probably. That's how you figure it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, we were talking a little bit, but you had a, you were fully in the gravel world this year, mm -hmm. right? What was that experience like and what does that mean for next year? Um, it was pretty mm, eye-opening with um, just seeing how gravel has evolved from like kind of like a grassroots, like fun, very social scene to like, it's very competitive. It's much more like road racing now. Um, a lot of tactics involved. Um, and yeah, I think it's like, it has a lot of potential on that side. Um, it's super popular um, and it's a growing sport. It just needs uh, to find kind of its niche and like figure out some rules in the gravel world, I think. Because right now it's kind of a free for all. And so what does that mean when you're actually racing? What's that experience like feeling like it's, it could use some more boundaries or? <laughs> um, well, <laughs> so traditionally gravel races are all like mass start. Um, so like everyone starts together, the pros, amateurs, um, men, women. So you're like on the start line and it's like thousands of people right there. It's like the Boston Marathon. Well, probably not as much as that, but um a lot of people yeah and it's extremely hectic going because like usually as like one of the elite women you're like rubbing elbows with like the tail end of the elite men's field like the top masters men and um everyone's kind of fighting to try and get on like the first train of uh top guys so you can draft them for as long as you can um so there's like ton of crashes and because it's gravel, like people like rules of the road are like, there's a lot of etiquette. People are like pointing out like hazards in the road and gravel is just like, you hit a pothole, person behind you is going to hit the pothole. Someone else might crash. Everyone's going to run you over and that's just how it goes. So it's very chaotic. Um, 
and it's just mostly a matter of chance. I mean, you can definitely get a sense for when crashes are going to happen and like who's going to be squirrely, but it's also like sometimes there's no avoiding it. Did you experience? So. Did you have any crashes? Um, no, but I did navigate around a few, quite a few, pretty much every start. <laughs> Right, like the, there's so many people, it's bound to happen. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so, are you? Um, you mentioned that you're hoping to maybe do a few more for fun, but w what's the bulk of next year going to look like? Um, just more um, fun mountain bike races, basically. I'm not on like a World Cup track anymore. Not that I really was. There were a couple years where I was racing internationally. Um, um, but now I'm just like doing kind of like the iconic events like BC Bike Race, um, Downeyville, let's see, a uh, stage race in Moab called Moab Rocks. Um, so stuff that people actually like want to go ride um, and you're not doing like um, eight laps in a city park. Like most um, XC events have kind of morphed into very short lap courses in places that are, they can be fun to ride. And I think it's cool that they go to urban venues um, to showcase the sport, but it's not always like places that are great for mountain biking. So is this, are you sort of using this as like a, a year to just enjoy it or are you sort of shifting career tracks or um kind of unknown right now um i would love to continue doing this i mean like what i have lined up for next year is kind of like pretty ideal i feel like people are wondering like how i managed to swing this <laughs> um but um i would love to yeah continue doing this for as long as i could um but um yeah, we'll see. Tell me about the, the years when you were on the World Cup tracks. I don't really know what that means and what like what is it like traveling internationally and what was your success like? Um, well, I like started racing kind of like uh, kind of a dead spot in US like elite mountain bike ranks. Um, and they um, there were a couple of like the pro women who got injured that year and they weren't doing great. So I got, I did well at a couple spring races domestically. And they invited me to go to Europe to go do some World Cups over there. And I had never like, I had never raced even a domestic World Cup at that point. And I just get sent over to Europe to jump in these massive World Cup races, um, which was fun. But also like, I barely knew how to ride a bike at that point. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it's really different riding like some of those technical world cup tracks and um, yeah, I was thrown in a little, a little above my head, but it was, it was a good learning experience. Um, but yeah, racing world cup is like, you just got to keep doing it and banging your head against the wall. And like, um, even if you're like, the fastest person in the US, like it takes a while to figure out how to race a World Cup. Um, it's just it's so different and you gotta be able to like fight for position um, and you learn how to like ride lines differently because 
if you leave something open, if you like take the line that looks fastest, someone's gonna come up on the inside and chop you. So then you learn to take like shittier lines um, so you don't get chopped. So that was like something that was like, whoa, that's crazy. I didn't realize that was gonna happen. <laughs> What, how did it go? Since you said you were, you know, maybe a little mm, bit over your head. I mean, I guess, like, I did okay. Um, I got a few top 30 results here and there, but it wasn't like I saw what it was going to take, and I didn't want to invest my whole life into racing World Cup. It's like you're over in Europe a bunch, um, and it's not like you're a lot of the time you're not going to be fully supported so people have to figure out ways to pay for it themselves or get sponsorship dollars and yeah so it's a huge investment um and yeah i didn't didn't really see myself like staying motivated to do that so now you're on juliana's team mm -hmm. can you talk to me about how that how that came to be and what it's like? Um, yeah, I guess, let's see. I was, I think I've been on Juliana since 2020, for two years now. Um, and a former racer um, who turned into, uh, I think, the marketing coordinator, or I don't exactly know her position at Juliana. Um, she reached out and, um, yeah, said that Juliana was looking into sponsoring some XC athletes, and um, she asked if I want to join, and I said yes, and that was pretty much it. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's not like um, it's not like a factory racing team where like you know the whole truck and trailer thing shows up and you're fully dialed. Um, a lot of the times, I'm like. Um, we were able to have a mechanic this year, um, which is great, but sometimes I still, I do a lot of my own work still and, um, drive to races in my truck and yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty good mix. There's like not a lot of pressure and it's still pretty fun, but I have good support. And how about so. Juliana generally? Cause they're, it's a, it's a woman focused brand, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's been awesome, honestly. Um, uh, just being able to work with a brand that supports me and doesn't just like have me as the token woman on the team, which I feel like I, has happened before. Um, and then you kind of get like seconds of everything. Um, and just being kind of the, the main focus for their marketing is like, they care about you, they take care of you, so. Yeah, must feel yeah. awesome. Yes, <laughs> to feel fully supported. Yeah. Um. What What is your life outside of riding like? What's Yeah. What's What's your What are your interests and things occupying your time when you're not training or racing? Um. Let's see. A lot of the focus. I. I mean. This month has been like building towards. We're trying to put. A, well, we are putting together this um, single track series for next year. So I mean, a couple other racers. Um, are putting together a series that we're calling like a down country series um, that's includes some of the races that I mentioned Downeyville, BC Bike Race um, and, or no not BC Bike Race Downeyville, Moab Rocks and a couple others 
Um, so yeah, that's taken some of my mental energy. And then um, um, outside of that, I do, yeah, some uh, mechanic work for people here and there. Um, and in Tucson, when I'm there this winter, I have been working for um, a cycling tour group called Cycling House, and I just take care of their demo fleet. Um, like maintenance and all that stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and building some bikes and, yeah, stuff like that. So, um, yeah. Cool. Um, so I want to sort of pivot and talk about social media and how that's been a part of your career and personal life and what your experience has been. Oh, <laughs> um, I was pretty reluctant to start social media. Um, I think I was probably one of the later adopters. Um, and I honestly like did not really realize um, why, like the importance of it for a long time, um, which I'm still like, hmm. I, I do see the importance of it. But um, I guess like the, that first year, I remember I was just like, I think they asked me like, I think I was on backcountry. I was riding for back, a backcountry team. And um, they're asking me to like post once a week or something. And I would just like post random things like a snail that I saw on the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, not not bike related whatsoever. I was like, oh, I guess. And then I realized later on, I was like, oh, they want like bike related content. <laughs> <laughs> not like a dead bird. <laughs> Did they send you a letter and saying cool it with the snails or what was? Um, no, but I was told my social media was terrible. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, it got pretty serious after that. Like the next couple teams I were on were very like strict about requiring social media. And it was like over the top of like posting bike stuff like three times a week or something. And it was, I mean, then your whole- It's a lot. Yeah, your whole feed is just filled with like whatever colors of your bike brand. And it's just, yeah. Um, which I don't think is super effective, but. I don't know. Companies like seeing that depending on who the marketing person is. So, but yeah, I mean, now I don't post as much as I think, like, I could probably work on it more. <laughs> but um, I enjoy kind of like having privacy and doing my own thing. So. How about on the personal side? Do you find that you're spending a, a lot of your downtime on social media and getting kind of swept up in it or not so much? Mm, not really, I guess. Like, um, I, I mean, I do look at social media, um, um, but I try not to like stare at it all the time. I, I'm like consciously like trying not to like look at all the posts ever you know it's not like I have to see everything that went on um, and it is fun like having social media as like um, just for yourself and like not 
like I follow probably more people outside of bike stuff than in the bike world. So it's nice to like see what's going on in other circles. So. Could you talk through what your perception of some of the good things about social media and some of the not so good things that in society, not necessarily for you personally? Um, let's see. I mean, social media can be a good thing for sure. Like it's, um, I think it's a platform for people to stand up for things, um, what they believe in and, and I think like I like seeing social media used in that way. And it's also fun seeing like little quirks of like, um, yeah, just like little insights into uh, other people's personalities and stuff like that. But um, what was the rest of your question? Sorry. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's the, those are the positives. Mm -hmm. What are some of the less than positives? Um, I mean, I think like placing all the importance on social media for, I think, especially for younger, like younger athletes and kids, seeing like, um, having them think that they have to do this to like be an athlete or anything really to like stay connected. It's like, um, I think there's like an over importance on that. Like, um, yeah, it's tough seeing, like especially with the Lifetime series this year, they placed, there's a whole application process to get into the series. And it wasn't like mm, merit-based. It was a lot of social media importance, um, which definitely bugged me quite a bit. Um, and I suspect that people did get turned away um, for having bad social media, not bad, or a lack of social media. So, or like a lesser following or mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. What, um, so you, since you've worked with a, a fair amount of younger people through coaching and just, I'm sure just being in the worlds that you're in, mm -hmm. um, what's been your observation of the younger people in particular on social media and how it's affecting their lives and relationships? Um, I guess, I think, a lot of kids they feel like um, they don't just get out and do stuff anymore they gotta like do it for some shot or something and there's less of just getting just getting out there for for fun and just hanging out with your friends um, and I think maybe they I mean there's like plenty of good kids out there but I know there's like marketing people have been like a little overwhelmed with the number of kids who are like send in like some video of them doing like something and then they expect to get like a free pair of sunglasses or like um so i think it's just um kind of lessening like the growth of athletes, I think. Um, 
I don't know. I, I don't have any stats for it or anything, so I don't right. know. But I'd rather see, like, people, like, growing up and being, like, teammates and helping and not trying to be the center of every shot. And I think that social media kind of rewards those people. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it definitely does. So. You mentioned, um, like, you wish people were just, like, getting out and kind of doing things. What... So you, did you grow up, you, must, you didn't grow up with social media, I am assuming. No. Um, what, um, what were some things that were part of your childhood you think that contributed to your love for being outside generally, but cycling as well? Um, I guess, I mean, we weren't like super outdoorsy or anything, but I mean, growing up, like when I was little, we lived in the city and pretty much like we're outside just ro roaming around the neighborhoods for until it got dark um roller skating everywhere had a pair of like little blue roller skates and you just like were outside hanging out with your friends playing street soccer or like yeah roller skating down someone's driveway and into traffic and you know no one really cared it was just <laughs> so and then, especially being in a place like here, you see, like, I mean, Park City is, like, every kid wants to get sponsored to be, like, snowboarder or skier or mountain biking or something. And it's, like, everyone's out there, like, at, like, the little jump park, like, trailside, and they're all filming each other, which is kind of fun, but it's also, like, uh, I feel like they're missing some, missing out on stuff. Right, maybe not focusing on just having a good time doing it yeah yeah um yeah it's it's interesting to to kind of think about like what you were just talking about what you did in a, in your childhood just kind of having fun for the sake of mm -hmm. having fun it's kind of hard to imagine people just kind of wandering around like uh, kids and just doing whatever yeah now yeah I mean, I hope it still goes on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so, so the average American gets their, or imagine, like, child gets their first cell phone at seven or eight wow. years old. Wow, I did not know that. It's, it seems on the earlier side. Like a side, smartphone. I don't, or I is don't it a, know. I actually, I'm I mean, not I guess sure. you can't even get a flip phone. I mean, you probably can still right. get a flip phone. I, I would, but I got to believe it's at least 75% mm -hmm. are smartphones. Yeah. Um, what do, what do you think about that? I mean, I, do you, I, do you have kids? No. So like what, I mean, you're not a parent. So as you're, as, a, as an adult, <laughs> what's your perspective on that? Um, I mean, hmm, I mean, I have friends who are parents and like, I see like the safety side and concern is just easier to have, be able to get in touch with your kid. Um, but, uh, yeah, just imagining being seven years old and like being influenced by, yeah, uh, social, like social media at that point, just, I couldn't really fathom that, honestly. I mean, it's hard enough, like growing up through like middle school without social media, <laughs> Right. couldn't imagine it now. Yeah, and there's like mm. there's some tools for parents to limit or restrict access to certain apps or yeah. content or whatever. But like I feel like that only goes 
can only yeah. go so far, right? Yeah. I mean, from what I've heard, like, uh, one of the guys that I used to work in a shop with, like, his daughter was coming through, like, between years, and it was, like, a struggle. It was, like, her phone was taken away probably, like, every other week or something. And for, like, there were just, like, so many bullying incidents that were going on. Um, and just, like, um, yeah, them putting stuff on the Internet that didn't realize that, like, you know, when you're, like, 11, you don't realize what you're putting on TikTok is, like, everyone's seeing that. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I, I do not envy parents right now who have to kind of navigate through monitoring this. And for kids, too. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like, I, uh, yeah, you said it. It's hard enough growing up without yeah. additional access to bullying and other people's thoughts coming at you. Yeah. I mean, I feel like in middle school, everyone's wondering, like, or at least it was, it was like, are you still my friend? Are you talking shit behind my back? Like, it's already hard to figure that out. And then you have social media in there, and you're like, ooh. There have been incidents where, like, you know, people post something and it's secretly shared among, like, you know, half your class or something. And then you realize that, it, yeah, some kids realize it's about them. And I could not imagine, like, being in that position. Right. Yeah. It'd be horrible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and we wonder why so many kids have anxiety. Yeah. and depression and all of those mm -hmm. other challenges. Um, what's what's a, a step in the right direction that we could take, do you think? Since culture is like, it doesn't seem like it's moving in a direction away from smartphones or mm -hmm. all of that access. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's, it's here and it's, there's always gonna be like a new social media popping up that like, I mean, I mean, our grandparents using like Facebook and like I feel like my generation's probably mostly on Instagram and then younger kids are on TikTok and there's always going to be something popping up and it's just trying to like stay on I mean I really don't know like just like I guess unfortunately it's probably mostly on parents to really monitor what their kids are seeing and doing but um yeah I'm, i don't have any good answers for that one i don't think there is a, a clear or easy solution mm -hmm. i mean honestly it'd be great if all of it went away but that's not going to happen <laughs> right yeah so it's a matter of like finding out what the what the balance is and how to get there mm -hmm. um can we talk i want to hear about your experience with distracted drivers um and being on the road as both a driver and a cyclist? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I guess like everyone who rides a road bike, there's, I mean, I feel like everyone has a close call here and there of like getting buzzed, whether it's intentional or not intentional. Um, and yeah, and you're in the cycling community long enough, you know, people who have been hit and killed. Um, and, um, So, yeah, I mean, 
that's my experiences. I know people who have died. I know people, and you know, I've never been hit other than when I was a kid, but that was totally my fault. Um, right. It, it feels a little different when you're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a kid. Yeah. So you know someone who was hit and killed on a bike, or at least one person? Is that? Yeah, I mean, um, there have been, there was um, a guy I didn't know well who was here riding in Salt Lake, hit and killed. Um, but uh, my friend Ben was hit, and Ben Sontag was hit and killed um, 2020. Um, so, I mean, that was pretty big impact in the cycling world, at least in this small mountain bike world. Right. Do you, do you know um, if either of those incidents were related to a distracted driver or was it just a, um, an actual accident? Ben was killed by a guy who was driving too fast in his off-road truck. Um, so I, th I don't think it was like staring at his phone. He was just pretending he was rallying his truck. Um, Jeez. And... Um, yeah, I'm not sure about the other, other incident, honestly. So how did having those couple of incidents pretty close to home, how did those affect your approach to driving? Oh, my number one fear when I'm driving is hitting another cyclist. Like, that is something I think about when I get in the driver's seat. Um, I'm pretty terrified of taking my eyes off the road, honestly. Um, so I'm pretty cautious. Um, um, yeah, I don't really, I don't really allow myself to like look at anything or, um, yeah, pick up my phone really at all. What um, are some, what are some strategies that you use to help minimize temptations or do you feel like you're pretty I'm, disciplined? It seems like you are. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not, I guess I'm not really tempted to pick up my phone most of the time. Um, yeah, I would say it's, it's not hard, like. I think, yeah, knowing people who have been hit and killed, it's like, um, yeah, it's not hard to not look at my phone. Do you use the um, the driving focus, the do not disturb feature on your phone while you're driving, or? No, I just, just ignore don't? it. Yeah. So, so. You, so you're in a, a pretty small pop portion of the population who can <laughs> ignore and just focus on the road, ignore notifications. Okay. Um, what, what, what's some advice that you would give? Cause a lot of people don't have direct experience to some other user of the road getting hit by someone, whether it's a distracted driver or not. What's, what's some advice or like, how, how do we, how do we get through to the people who refuse to, uh, focus on the road and the task at hand? Um, make everyone ride a bike on the side of the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least great. once. <laughs> and then they can see how it feels to like get buzzed. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, honestly, it should probably be like, I feel like car manufacturers are, could do something if they wanted to. Um, and, you know, I don't think it's like overreaching to just be like, well, like, I mean, I drive a car from 2002, um, so it doesn't have technology. But I know, like, new cars, you could definitely, like, have something that, like, doesn't allow you to touch your phone while you're driving. 
but instead I feel like car manufacturers are moving in the other direction, putting up all these screens and stuff so you can basically watch TV while you're driving. So I don't see, I think it needs to be on cars and I also think like, um, and phones, like, I mean, Apple could definitely do something. Like, they know when you're driving. They could definitely just shut it, like, not allow you to use your phone while you're driving. Well, that's why so. I asked about the driving focus thing, because there's a, it's a feature that you can have, you, but you have to go, you have to know about it and turn it on. Yeah. So that it's, it goes on automatically. But mm -hmm. most of the people that I've talked to don't even know about it. Yeah, I, um... I do know about that one, um, mainly because I have one friend, because every time I text him, it's like, I'm driving. it has like some sort of automated text that comes back. And I'm like, drives all the time, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> or you get them at the, <laughs> usually at the Same sixth time. sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I feel like having that feature kind of be automatic might. Or I, even I more well-known. Yeah when you're setting up your phone or something, yeah. just say, rather than you have to know from someone who has the, the texts that come back mm -hmm. automatically or word of mouth, it's, it's a lot of steps mm -hmm. to, like, a, yeah, or it doesn't reach a lot of people. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, the, the cars certainly aren't moving in the, the right direction in terms of distractions because yeah. touch screens, I mean, you're, is it your Tacoma? Yeah. Um, I mean, everything's with a knob. You can pretty much do everything oh, by yeah. feel, but with a touch <laughs> screen, it's like, what? Yeah. Yeah, sitting in new vehicles is like a whole new experience. So. Yeah, and then like mm -hmm. you could maybe make the argument like, oh, cars are getting better about, you know, staying in the lane or like slowing down when there's a car in front of you, but that's not going to really. Yeah. I haven't heard great things about like their like peripheral technology. Um, so I don't, I mean, I mean, I don't, I could go either way on those. I think it's not like humans are doing a great job right now. So if cars had more sensors, maybe that would be great. But also, I don't know if we want to go that direction and kind of go through a whole period of trial and error of working out the kinks on that. Yeah, I don't like know about the, that. Uh, <laughs> like the high, high consequence experimenting there. <laughs> right, right. But like you said, I mean, we're already not doing a, yeah. a super good job. Mm -hmm. um, so what what are your um, kind of thoughts on uh, on yeah car safety going forward? Like you mentioned, it'd be great if everyone could get on a bike. I think that yeah. <laughs> a lot of people don't. Um, so, like, uh, what keeps you riding on the on the road, um, despite knowing all of the risks? Uh, I mean, you just know it, and you go out and do it, and you just kind of ignore that. Um, for me, it's like part of the job, so I'm like, just go out there and yeah, don't think about it too much when I'm riding. Um, other than being like making sure I'm visible and um, yeah, obeying the rules of the road. Um, but um, sorry, can you say the question again? Yeah, no, just like what keeps you uh, motivated to ride on the road despite knowing the risks? Okay. You kind of you kind of yeah. answered it. What are um, since you're on both sides of it? You know, you ride on the road and you drive. Um, what are things that 
cyclists do that help you as a driver? I mean, you're hyper aware of cyclists, but mm -hmm. what are some things that happen that are like, is it signals, high visibility clothing, lights? What are some things that have really helped? Lights are great. Um, I pretty much will like always wear a daytime running light on the road bike. Um, Cause I think like the further out you can see something, um, like, I mean, in my head, I'm like, if someone can see me from like half a mile away, if they like, then they'll at least not try not to look at their phone between that half mile or something. You'd hope. <laughs> You'd, maybe. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and hand signals, um, and um, yeah, just like moving predictably um, in kind of, yeah, I think that's what I try to do when I'm riding. Um, and yeah, as a driver, I'm just always, I'm usually just looking for cyclists or deer. Right, which are unfortunately <laughs> less visible. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you're you're right. The the lights are are a huge huge help. Mm -hmm. Um, so kind of just to to wrap up, what are some, what are what's a what's some advice you would give to a young person hoping to pursue a dream, whether that's becoming a pro cyclist or anything, um, but they're receiving a lot of pressure from peers, teachers, family to do something opposite that really isn't exciting to them. <laughs> like um, someone who wants to do something cool versus pressure to go into corporate America. I mean, education's important. Listen to your teachers. Um, but also do what gets you fired up. Um, and like, you can make it work. Like, I mean, it's not like I live a dream life by any means. I mean, I'm living with my friend's parents in their attic right now, um, <laughs> which is great. This place is awesome. Um, but um, yeah, I guess I'm I'm a big proponent of just like if it's if it's worth it for you to. Um, go into the corporate world and if you get I mean people do get fired up about it and um, and that gets their adrenaline going but um, I think for kids who want to pursue like um, yeah a career in some, like any sort of sport like make sure you have a backup plan but just go for it so. Is there one one thing that you would kind of put or give credit to from you know a younger when you were younger that has helped you helped enable you to to do what you love doing? Um, I mean, so many people have helped me along the way. It's like I've just met, been fortunate to meet and be friends with a ton of really good people. Um, and I mean, in the ski world, it's like 
people didn't ski for, to like really make money at whatsoever. So um, I think there's a lot of good, really good people in the ski world because they're not, even marketing people, marketing people and skiing were terrible when I was growing up because they were just wanted to help people out. <laughs> they weren't about really marketing. They were more about supporting, which was, I mean, I think that was great. Um, just supporting younger athletes. Um, but I guess, um, yeah, I think probably, yeah, I've had a few coaches along the way. Um, and this guy who actually used to be, um, a U.S. ski team coach, he never coached me, um, like on a personal level, but I've gotten to know him a bit since then. And, um, he's written some really, uh, I would say heartfelt things that are good advice. Um, just about how to like deal with being an athlete and like how to use your platform as an athlete for like something you believe in. Um, and I think that's really helped me realize like what I can do in my position. What's his name? Pete Vordenberg. And what's, what's something that you've like, that he inspired you to, to do or advocate for? Um, I guess nothing, well, I guess there's a few specific things, but mostly just like, um, standing up for like social issues, um, last year, no, two years, two years ago, um, when a lot of anti-trans legislation was kind of rolling through the country and has rolled over the country. Um, so not in a great position with that legislation right now, but um, I did use my social media to speak out against that. Um, and he was a big inspiration for that. Um, just being, um, yeah, not just using it to like promote products or which, you know, you're thankful for your sponsors, but you also have your own voice to stand up for issues. Talk to me about snurfing. Oh, snurfing. <laughs> <laughs> I read it in your Juliana bio. Oh, God. That was, a, that was a last winter. I think, like, no, the past two winters, I like, haven't really done much yet this year. Um, what is it? I, I know what it is, but what is it? So snurfing is... Um, just like these little bindingless snowboards um, that are, it's just like, it's also called like pow surfing. Um, so uh, it's just kind of a fun activity to do when there's like, you just want to get out and hike up something and um, uh, challenge yourself a little bit. It's ex it was extremely hard for me to learn. Um, even like having snowboarded before, being on a bindingless snowboard, um, you just get ejected all the time. And like really committing to the lean, because like you just need like pressure on there to like lean it over and you can't just half ass it. So um, yeah, it's fun. Like I have a friend who was a professional snowboarder and he's got like a million snowboards and snurf boards and whatnot. So we just go walk up into the woods and find some very mellow, low angle stuff. Um, stuff that you like wouldn't even consider, like that would be fun. 
on like regular skis or a snowboard. Um, I mean, it's like sledding for adults. Don't let her rip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, any closing thoughts, uh, things you're looking forward to, anything at all just to close out here, everyone? Um, let's see. Uh, something. Well, tomorrow I'm going to go ride the dirt bike again. Um, so so, so. You, have, it's like a, you have an actual dirt bike, yeah? Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, so usually I don't really ride it too much um, throughout the race season, um, but then fall rolls around and um, able to get out on it quite a bit. And um, been going out to the West Desert a bunch here where trails are still pretty good, not snowy. Um, and uh, actually I wore this fleece yesterday while we were riding dirt bikes and I smell like fuel. <laughs> um, so I was like, ah, it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's like, I mean, I just get excited to do like, like right now it's just fun month. I get to do fun stuff every day, pretty much. Um, and do a little computer work here and there in the evening or in the morning or something. And then, um, Cool. Well, thank you so much uh, for, for taking this time. It's really cool to chat with you and hear about your experience, and I hope next season goes well. Thank you. Yeah, it was, thanks for having me on the, on the interview here. <laughs> yeah, on know. the whatever it turns yeah, wh into. Yeah, whatever this is. <laughs> <laughs> whatever this is. Yeah. So there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Evelyn Dong from back in early November 2022. I think there's a lot of takeaways that you could grab from that conversation and hopefully it did make an impact on you and maybe it influences the way that you live your life. And I really hope that you consider turning on the driving focus feature on your phone if you don't have it on already. What it does is it blocks notifications automatically when you're driving so that you don't see your phone light up. It's one less temptation to drive distracted. And it means you're that much closer to driving totally distraction-free. And you don't have to do anything except turn it on once so that it automatically flips on whenever you're in your car. And there go the notifications because at the end of the day, nothing is that important. So thank you for considering that. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe, give it a positive review, maybe leave some feedback. Check out the video with Evelyn that just came out a couple days ago on Max's Tires on YouTube. Make sure you follow Eyes Up Ride and Max's Tires on Instagram. And Evelyn Dong, because she, she puts up some cool content. And what I know is true is that I will see you or speak to you. I will speak to you in two weeks. And drumroll please, we have Alex Ray, professional motocross racer, coming at you to close out the month of May. Can you believe it's already the end of May? Ugh, well, it will be. Anyways, hope you have a great couple of weeks, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.